This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg Letter number 23, page 44 Fascinating letter with a practical application, a call for action. But like all the letters of Alter Rebbe, they're all based on a profound understanding. So first Alter Rebbe gives the underlying rationale, the understanding, and then he goes to the practical application. This statement is made by decree of the wakeful angels and by the word of those holy ones. This phrase is used by the sages and here by the Alter Rebbe to denote eminent Torah scholars who are likened to ministering angels, specifically, Mishnaic sages, peace be upon them. This is an expression used for the uh, sages, the, like the angels, wakeful angels, and the word, words of the Holy One. Who taught in their Mishnah, if ten people sit together and engage in the study of the Torah, the Divine Presence, the Shekhinah, rests among them. A similar teaching, the Shekhinah hovers over every gathering of, the, of ten Jews meaning only that the Divine Presence hovers over them in a transcendent manner, as explained at the end of chapter 11 of Tanya. In this instance, however, where ten Jews are studying Torah together, the Shekhinah rests among them in an internalized manner. He quotes the Mishnah that we just read this Shabbat, Ethics of Our Fathers, chapter 3, Mishnah 6. Rabbi Hananiah ben Doisa Ishkvar Hananiah says, that ten Jews who sit and study Torah together, the Shekhinah dwells in their midst. He explains that although it says elsewhere in the Talmud, as was discussed in the first part of the Tanya at the end of chapter 11, that whenever ten Jews get together, the Shekhinah, God's presence, rests over them. So there he says, over them above them, that it transcends them. But here he's saying, when the ten Jews get together and they study Torah, then the Shekhinah rests within them. That it's internal. That's the difference between these two missions. So when there's ten Jews just sitting together, the Shekhinah is above them. And when they are studying Torah together, the Shekhinah is within them. Why ten? And what does it mean, the Shekhinah? Because, you know, we live in a very fragmented world. Every human being is an ego. Every human being is completely apart from another human being. We are a different universe. You know how far the stars are from each other? You know how far the closest star is to the sun? It takes eight minutes for the light of the sun to get to earth. 
the next star, the closest star, takes four years. <laughs> four light years. For, this, for the light, for the closest star to get to us. So the distance between the sun, <laughs> one star, and the next star is four light years. When we see in the sky two stars together, you know how distant they are? They're like light years apart. Space is mostly empty. And the stars are so far apart. Well, every human being is like a star. We are millions of miles apart. (laughs) Our egos, we're selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed. Our whole universe evolves around ourselves. That's our nature. And yes, yeah, we may have some communication with others, but essentially we're all fragmented, isolated, fragmented, light years apart from each other. So therefore, nothing in this world reflects the Shekhinah. The Shekhinah is Hashem. Hashem is one. Hashem is. Hashem is whole. Hashem is everything. So everything in this world is a fragmented piece, a creation, a fragment. The fragment cannot contain the whole. And even if you put a billion people in the room together, seven billion people in the room together, you still don't get the whole. Why? Because essentially we're apart. We may come together. We may have something external that brings us together. Like, like uh, travelers who are journeying. They travel on a boat together. So they're all in the boat. They're all stuck in the same boat. And for the sake of the journey, they all join forces because they all have a a common interest to get to the shore safely. So they come together. But once they reach the shore, each one embarks and continues on their own. Each Each one has a different reason why they're on the journey. But for the sake of the journey, they all join forces. So people join groups. The people who join certain parties, people who join certain groups, even religious groups, so they have something external in common. They're travelers, common travelers, we're going to travel together, we'll join a tour, we'll join a group. But it's external, it's superficial. And the proof is it's interchangeable. No matter how religious you are, no matter how committed you are, you can change your religion, your affiliation. A liberal can turn into a conservative. A liberal that's mug becomes a conservative. A conservative can turn into a liberal. A conservative that's caught turns into a liberal. A Japanese could become an American. Mother Teresa can turn into an atheist. Anything can change. Someone who meditates, sits on a mountaintop and meditates, could tomorrow turn into a rank materialist, and vice versa. Everything in life is interchangeable, meaning it's external. Ultimately, it's external. So all the ties that, that bind us together are very external, very superficial. What's unique about the Jewish people is that our unity is essential. It's our core. It's our essence. That's why we have no, nothing external in common. You have Ashkenazic Jews, you have Sephardic Jews. A Jew is religious, and a Jew thinks he's not religious. 
Jews are Jews. We speak all the languages of the world. We eat all the different foods of the world. Part of all the different cultures of the world. And yet, the unity amongst Jews is the envy of the world. Whenever you travel, you go into any show, you feel at home. Like brothers and sisters. It's blood. It's, it's, it's a core connection. It's a genuine unity. It's a unity that transcends all the superficial differences. Before the Six-Day War, when Israel thought it's facing another Holocaust. You know, here in America, we have two parties. In Israel, there are over 30 parties. There are probably as many newspapers as there are Jews in Israel, because everyone has his own paper, everyone has his own party, everyone has his own opinion. And yet, when they thought they were facing another Holocaust, all this nonsense fell by the wayside. There was no right, there was no left, there was no... They all came together. Two summers ago when Israel was attacked, barbarically attacked, like during the Nazis' attack on London, bombarded London during the Blitzkrieg. And the Hamas had the chutzpah of attacking and bombarding and blitzing Israel with thousands and thousands of missiles attacking men, women, and children. All the politics subsided. There was no right, there was no left. All that nonsense, that bickering, that fighting. Israel became like one, a unified. So when you shake shake a Jew, you reveal his core, all the labels and all the artificial barriers, that core and essential unity emerges in all its beauty. Therefore, amongst Jews you have a concept of a minion. When you have ten Jews get together, they make a minion. The Shekhinah is present. Because that represents unity. The building block of the whole universe is ten. God creates the world with ten utterances. That's why there are ten commandments. Because the ten spherot. God creates the world with his ten emanations. That's the building block of creation. So when you have ten... Jews, and no two people look alike, and two Jews, three opinions, and every one of them represents a different aspect of reality. When you bring them all together, suddenly you have wholeness. You don't have a fragment, you no longer have a fragment. It's not seven billion fragments. You have ten, you have one. One plus one plus one plus one. Equals, when you have ten, equals one, the ultimate one, the ultimate unity, the Shekhinah. Hashem is revealed. The unifying force of the whole universe, Hashem, is fully revealed. When you have a minion, something magical happens. It's not just you added another one. You have one, no. The difference between nine and ten is a qualitatively, it's, it's a whole different... It's a whole different reality. When you have ten, the whole is greater than the sum total of its part. It's not just one plus one plus one. You have a new entity. It's called a congregation. A minion, a quorum of ten. You have a minion. You have a, you have a new entity. You have the Shechina. The Shechina is present. And that's why we find a fascinating law in the Torah we find this idea of Iranidachat. Iranidachat is a city 
that the majority of its inhabitants commit idolatry. And then we have to destroy the city. The Jewish community gangs up against the city and wipes out the city. Whoever was part of it, they're all wiped out. Men, women, children, whoever is a white part of the city is wiped out. And they're wiped out through Hereg. Hereg is the four types of, of capital punishment in the Torah. There's stoning, there's um, through fire, through choking, and through beheading. So the punishment for this crime, this rebellious city that rebels and worships idols, is Herek. Now, if the majority of the city, when they count the individuals who worship this crime, who are seduced to worship, worship idols, if it's not a majority, then every individual is judged as an individual. What's the punishment for an individual? The worst. Skila, stoning. If you worship idols, it's stoning. Stoning? Yeah. So, and there's witnesses, and they warn you, and you, in spite, you go ahead and worship anyway, it's stoning. So the question is, we don't find anywhere in the Torah that if a person has an option of two, if a person committed two capital crimes, you get the stricter punishment, not the lesser punishment. So it makes no sense. Here, if they worshiped idols as individuals, they get the harshest punishment, which is stoning. But if there's a majority and there's a whole community that worships, now they get the lesser punishment by sword? And the answer is because when they do it as a community, they become a new entity. Now they become a congregation, a community. A community and a congregation is not just adding individuals together. Individuals alone cannot make a congregation. It's when you have a community, the whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. It becomes a new entity, a new dynamic. When you have a minion, it's not just ten individuals. It creates a new entity, a new dynamic. They become a community. They become a reflection of the Shekhinah, a reflection of the whole. They're no longer fragments. Every individual, no matter how great he is, is a fragment. But the community becomes a reflection of the whole Shekhinah, of Hashem, of God Himself. And that only happens when you have a minion, when you have ten. Not nine. You have nine Moses, you don't have a minion. You add one simple cobbler, one tailor, one bar mitzvah boy, and now you have a minion. Now you have the Shekhinah, you can say God's name, you can say the Kaddish, you can pray Without a minion, you can have nine Moses. Sorry, can't say Hashem's name, can't say Kaddish. Hashem Shechina is not present. It's only ten that represents the whole, the whole. The ten Svirot, the whole Shechina, the whole universe. Hashem Himself. That's the power of ten, that's the power of communities, the power of unity. And this is something that's unique the Jewish people, this idea of a minion. You gather seven billion people together, you don't have a minion. You gather ten Jews, you have a minion. You can say Kat, you can say Hashem's name. You can read the Torah. It's 
the power of a minion, the power of ten. To appreciate what, how unique it is. It's a force in the universe. It's something so dynamic that nothing like it exists in the universe. Because everything in the universe is fragmented. You have ten angels, you have no minion. We're not discriminating against anyone. You have ten angels, you have no minion. <laughs> this is unique to the Jewish people. <laughs> it doesn't exist in the whole universe. Because everything in the universe is a fragment. Even the angels. The angels are fragments. Angels Michal, Angel Michael represents a love. Angel Gavriel represents awe. It's one fragment of the universe. An angel cannot contain the whole universe. But when you get a minion of Jews, you have a reflection of the whole universe. You have a reflection of Hashem, the Shechina himself. This is something unique. And that's what the Alter Rebbe is going to say now. Something unbelievable. Something so startling. He says that this is the purpose of creation. This fulfills the purpose of creation. Why did the soul come down into this world when the soul was happily parked in heaven? Why did the soul have to come down to this world? <laughs> exactly. The soul is looking for a minion. <laughs> because that's something you don't have in heaven. The soul has to come down into this world. It's the only place Alter Rebbe writes this. It's unbelievable. He's, he makes such statements, such powerful statements. Every letter is so powerful. He says, usually we understand, we say, that the reason for the descent, the traumatic descent of the soul into this world is so traumatic for the soul is in order that through your service in this world and through your efforts in this world and through your Torah and mitzvot in this world, when you, after, in the afterlife, after 120 years, you'll receive your reward, your just reward, so it's worthwhile. It's worth the investment and worth the risk and worth all that trauma because <laughs> what happens at the end as a result, it's all going to be worthwhile. You're going to get the reward, the eternal reward. Here the Altarabi says, no. The reward is in the descent because in the descent you get a minion. <laughs> you come to Shul, you get a minion. That's it. There's nothing greater. Are you kidding? You have ten Jews together. It's a slice of Hashem. You get a, a revelation of Hashem. You get the whole... You don't have it in the whole universe. You get 10 angels together, you don't have it. You get 7 billion people together, you don't have it. You get 10 Jews in a room together. <laughs> That's it. You have the Shekhinah. You have Hashem Himself. You have the whole. That doesn't exist in the whole universe. Not in the spiritual universes. and that, Definitely not in the physical and material universe. But you get 10 Yidin together. <laughs> For this is the whole purpose of man. As the Gemara interprets this verse, the entire world was created solely for this purpose. Moreover, the soul's very descent to this world was for the purpose of this ascent, which is accomplished through public Torah study. And no possible ascent is higher than this. When you have a public Torah study, when you have ten Jews learning Torah together, when the Shekhinah is within them, that's the greatest level you can reach. You get a, a reflection of Hashem. You get the whole. You get the unity. The ultimate ascent of the soul, the reason for which the soul initially descended, is attained not only after it completes its descent, after it leaves the body. Rather, through public Torah study, while the soul is still within the body, it causes the Shekinahs to rest in this netherworld and is thereby elevated more than by any other means. For the Shekinah of Hashem's might 
which is in the supernal heights and whose awesomeness the heavens and the heavens of the heavens cannot contain, dwells and becomes magnified among the children of Israel as it is written. For I, Hashem, dwell among the children of Israel. As we say in the Aleinu, the first paragraph of the Aleinu, the end of every davening, Ushchinas Uzoi, Begavim the God's Shechina and His strength is in the height of heights, Hu Elikeinu is our God, becomes our God. This Shechina, which is the height of the heights, which transcends all the worlds and the upper worlds and the lower worlds and even the upper worlds, becomes Elokeinu. Hu Elokeinu becomes our God. How? When we study Torah publicly and we're davening publicly, and we're studying Torah publicly, then it becomes our God. And that's why he says, he brings the verse. It says in the Torah, Hashem says, Ani Hashem, I God, Shoichen, I dwell, Betoir B'nei Yisrael. In the midst of the Jewish people. It's internalized. This high level of the Shechina, through public study of Torah, becomes internalized within the Jewish people. As a result of their study of the Torah and observance of the commandments in groups of at least ten, the ten Jews constitute a congregation. For as our sages of blessed memory said, we infer a conclusion from two appearances of the word Torah. It says, we read in last week's Torah portion, Hashem says, I will be sanctified in the midst of B'nai Yisrael. So the only way you're allowed to say, mention God's name, to read the Torah in public, to pray in public, within the midst of the Jewish people. So a public is when you have a quorum of ten. Where do we learn this from? From the ten spies. Because Moshe told the Jewish people, he badlu, separate yourself, mitoich ha'eda from the midst of this evil congregation. How many evil spies were there? Out of the 12 spies, Joshua was okay, Kalev and Yefunah was okay, so that leaves 10 spies. And Moshe refers to them as an evil congregation. So from this we learn the idea of 10, the idea of a minion, that you need a minion, you need 10 Jews, you need 10 male Jews in order to be able to say something holy, to say God's name, to say Kaddish, to read the Torah in public, to say the prayers in public. So... It's interesting that where do we learn the whole idea of a minion? We learn from the spies, <laughs> from an evil congregation. Um, and Moshe tells the Jewish people, separate yourself from them. Look what happened when ten Jews got together. They almost destroyed the whole world. As a result of the spies, not only were the Jews stuck in the desert for 40 years, and they all died out in the desert, and Moshe died out in the desert. As a result of the spies, we had Tishabav the destruction of the first temple, the destruction of the second temple, the, this, the uh, failure of the Bar Kokhba revolt, which ended on Tisha B'av. Jerusalem was completely plowed. Many tragedies in Jewish history happened on Tisha B'av. World War I started on Tisha B'av. Um, <clears throat> the expulsion of Gush Katif was originally planned for Tisha B'av. It's only when Sharon realized how tragic it sounds that uh, on Tisha B'av, Jews are expelling Jews. It's one thing if the Romans expelled us, the Greeks expelled us, the Babylonians expelled us, but the first time in the annals of human history there's never been a nation that expelled itself with the exception of Jews expelling themselves from Gush Katif and viciously uprooting 9,000 Jews and destroying their homes and their livelihood and, and inviting in uh, terrorism in their own doorstep. 
So it was, he got it right the first time. It was Tisha B'Av. The biggest tragedy in Jewish history, a Jew expelling a fellow Jew, destroying the life of a fellow Jew, which only led to three wars and, and disaster and tragedy and the biggest mistake Israel ever made. But, but he pushed it off a day, so it should be the day after Tisha B'Av, you know, Yashukoyach. Um, but, the, but Tisha B'Av is a very sad day, and this all happened as a result of ten Jews coming together. So it was ten men. We have to fix it. So it's up to the men to fix the mistake that those original ten men made. So could you imagine what ten Jews can accomplish when they get together and say, and say Hashem's name and do something holy and do something positive and do something uplifting and something inspiring? We can fix the whole world. We can draw the Shekhinah. We can, we can reveal the Shekhinah. So that's the power of ten. The power of a minion we learn from, from the spies. As the previous Rebbe explains, that because when ten Jews come together, because Jews are united, it's a powerful force. Now, they use that force in the negative. They use that power for the negative. So Moshe told the Jewish people, separate yourself from this evil congregation, because it was a very powerful energy. It was a very powerful energy, and the only way to deal with it was to separate themselves from this powerful energy. He couldn't deal with this powerful energy, negative energy. Moshe says, we've got to separate ourselves from this powerful negative energy. So what do we see from this? The power of good is so much more powerful than the, than the, the, the positive. The power of the positive is so much stronger than the power of the negatives. If when ten Jews got together in an evil, evil way, they were able to create such a negative energy field and such a negative energy, how much more so that when ten Jews get together, they create such a powerful field, an energy field, such a powerful energy is revealed. But it's a transcendent energy. It's the Shechina. It's, it's, it's a Shechina that hovers over them. It's a Shechina that transcends them. But when ten Jews get together and they study Torah or do a mitzvah, do something holy, so not, then they take this powerful energy and internalize its power. So this is the strength of a minion, the power of a minion. Now, it's a separate question. It's not for today's discussion. How could we learn a minion from an evil congregation? Why would we learn a minion from something that's so negative? But obviously the spies were not... The story is not as simple as it sounds. Obviously they were great people and... They made a terrible mistake, but they were coming from a very, very powerful place. They were not, it wasn't simple. These are the peers of Moses, as someone once said. You know, from their sins, the Torah was written. From our mitzvah, no one is writing any Torahs. So obviously we're dealing here with greats, great people. Um, but that's a whole separate discussion. But What's important for us to know is just the power of a minion, the power of ten Jews getting together. In certain specified cases, the sages draw an analogy from one expression in Torah to the identical expression in a different context. A comparison of this kind, the Gezerah Shavah, 
is made between two appearances of the above words. One verse states, I will become sanctified in the midst of the children of Israel. While another verse referring to the ten spies dispatched by Moses states, from the midst of this congregation. From this we learn that the congregation of recital of a Devar Shebikadusha, a text involving the sanctification of God's name, requires a quorum of ten. Rabbi Rayatz asks, of all the possible contexts, why do our sages derive this rule from the evil assemblage of the spies concerning whom the above quoted verse in fact states, separate yourself from the midst of this congregation. But answering his own question, Rabbi Rayetz, that with these words, Moshe Rabbeinu sought to insulate the people from the Marquis of evil, from the transcendent and most intense dimension of evil. As far as the of evil was concerned, the permeating but less intense dimension of evil, Moses was able to rectify it saying there is the transcendent level and then there's the internal level. So Moses was not afraid of the internal level, internal damage that the spies, that he can counteract. But the transcendent energy, negative energy that they, uh, they represented, that was very powerful. And Moshe couldn't counteract that. So he says we have to separate ourselves from it. The only way to deal with it is remove yourself from it because you're going to be affected by it. They draw down such a negative energy, such a powerful energy, negative energy, that it, will, that it will hurt you, it will affect you. So you've got to remove yourself from them, their presence. Separate yourself from them, not to be affected. Protect yourself, not to be affected by this powerful negative energy that they drew down because of the fact that they were ten. The fact that there were ten Jews utilizing all this holiness in the wrong way. So they, they created this intense, powerful negative energy. And look, look at the results. Look at the damage they've done. These ten Jews did so much damage to the world. If they would not have sinned with the, ten, with the sin of the spies, they would have gone straight to Israel. Mashiach would have come. We would have spared 3,300 years of pain and suffering. So imagine the damage that they brought because of what they did. That's the power of ten. These ten Jews get together. Look what damage they can do. These ten were of the highest echelon of Jews. Yes. Why would they permit this to happen? Okay, that's 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 a, that's a, that's, a, that's the story of the spies. We can spend the we can do a whole sheer. We can spend the rest of the night just in the spies. It's fascinating, um, but it's not it's not for this. No, okay. I don't want to get off the topic. It's a fascinating discussion, and it's worthy of a discussion. And uh, we discuss it here when we read the Torah, the week of Shlach. It's a very powerful discussion. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe we should, we should record it once, but that's a whole separate. I don't want to mix the two. It's, okay, not, sure. it's, not, it's in, not for one minute. Next, in, uh, coming up, coming up. The power of Jews coming together, abusing that energy. Because when Jews get together, there is an energy. There's a powerful energy. How you choose to use that energy, you have freedom of choice. You have a nuclear explosion on your hands. You have a nuclear reactor on your hands. How you choose to use that energy, you can either light up New York City with it or you can destroy New York City with it. In the case of the spies, they used that energy to wreak havoc and to destroy and it led to such destruction and such negative consequences that was reeling. We're reeling until this very day. 
seems like you read the papers, we have the spies with us, maligning the Holy Land, etc. So we're reeling from it 3,300 years later. That's, that's the energy that we have. So how we utilize the energy that's in our hands. But if you take this energy and you utilize it for something negative, don't get it, it was Jews who came up with, with, with many isms that destroyed the whole world. I mean, communism and other, other wonderful isms. So it depends how you utilize this gift that Hashem gave us. It's a power. It's a force. What do you do with this power? What do you do with this force? Ten Jews got together and they abused that power, abused that force, and, and were still reeling till today. Moshe says, you've got to separate yourself. If you're going to be close to them, you're going to be hurt. It's going to hurt you. The only way to deal with it is you've got to remove yourself from that presence. Because it's a powerful presence. It's a powerful force. And, and I can't rectify it. It's too powerful. You've got to separate ourselves from it. So if that's true in the negative, conclude. Now, since everything in the realm of holiness is the counterpart in Kalipop and the force of evil, it follows that the level of holiness referred to here is the transcendent level. Thus, when a congregation of at least ten participants engages collectively in prayer or in Torah study or in the observance of a mitzvah, they elicit a response from the transcendent level of the divine life from an Omakif that is an utterly superior to the light of forth by a group of fewer than ten. Concerning this, it is written, the Holy One is within you. This means to say that a level of divinity which is holy in the sense that it is initially distinct from this world is hereby drawn down and integrated with the ten or more people involved. As the Rebbe Rayats explained in the above-mentioned talk, the Alta Rebbe had spoken earlier of the transcendent degree of illumination that merely encompasses one. At this point, he cites the phrase, the Holy One is within you, to indicate that this encompassing illumination can also become internalized within a Jew. So he says, Kadosh, holy, holy is transcendent, Kadosh, that's right. but it's it's within you. Because when the group of ten are praying together, or doing a mitzvah together, or studying Torah together, then that level of holiness, that superior and transcendent level of revelation, is now internalized. Bekir becomes internalized within you. Likewise, the congregational recital of a davar shibikdusha, a text involving the sanctification of Hashem's name, requires a quorum of ten, as quoted above. Thus, in order that the holiness be within you, it is necessary that the Torah be studied in groups of at least ten. This also explains why our sages of blessed memory had to derive from scripture an answer to the questions. From where do we know that even one person who sits and engages in the study of the Torah, the Holy One, blessed be he, sets a reward for him? The Mishnah derives its answer from the verse, He sits alone and studies in stillness. Indeed, he takes the reward unto himself. Evidently, then, a proof text was needed to show that even individual study is rewarded. And even so, the sages did not find in Scripture support for that, i.e., they did not find support for the proposition that an individual can bring about the previously mentioned indwelling of Hashem's holiness, but only for the allotment of a reward to the individual. 
proportionate to himself and in proportion to the many. If there are fewer than ten individuals, the reward is divided equally among them, according to the version and in proportion, the more individuals participate, the greater the reward for each of them. But as to causing an indwelling of Hashem's holiness, the individual cannot be compared to the congregation at all. Yeah, this is a little complex. Um, <laughs> the previous Rebbe said this is a very, very complicated letter, complex letter. He commented a lot on this letter. Um, he said it's a very, in general, it's a very... There's two Mishnas. In the chapter 3 of Ethics of Fathers, we just read the Shabbat. Chapter 3, first Mishnah, Mishnah 3, says, Rebbe Hanidim ben says, two Jews sit together and study Torah amongst themselves, the Shekhinah is present. And he brings a verse to support it. Then he says, how do I know that even if one Jew sits and sets, aside, sets time to study Torah, that God gives him reward? And he brings a verse that even if you're sitting alone, you receive a reward. It seems to say that if two Jews sit together, the Shekhinah is present. And study Torah, the Shekhinah is present. If one Jew studies Torah, it doesn't say the Shekhinah is present, it says God gives him a reward, an extra reward. Three Mishnahs later, in the same chapter, Mishnah 6, says, Ten Jews, and that's what he started out the letter, he quotes the Mishnah. Ten Jews who sit together in a learning, in learning Torah, sitting together in a learning Torah. Although you may think that, you know, ideally you want to learn Torah, you need the peace of mind, you want to sit and think. But no, they're studying publicly, and they're studying, and they're into the Torah, and they're studying together. Shechina shruya b'neim. The Shechina is present. Shruya. The Shechina is present. Then he continues, how do I know even five? He brings a verse. Magadase l'aretzi sada like a hand that's made up of five fingers. Or How do I know even three? It says God is with amongst judges. Judges, you have at least three judges, so God is present. How do I know even two? Because it says, Vayakshev Hashem Vayishma, Hashem listened. And he will write it down. And how do I know even one? Because it says, B'chol ha-mokim wherever my name is mentioned, Avayelech, I will come to you in the singular. In other words, even if it's one Jew who's mentioning Hashem's name, who's studying Torah, I will bless you. Okay, so the first, the first Mishnah says that God is present, the Shekhinah is present, even if two Jews soon learn Torah together. If one Jew learns Torah together, it says God gives him reward. It doesn't say God's presence, Shekhinah is present. In the Mishnah 6, three Mishnahs later, Rabbi Hanani says that God is Shekhinah's present if there are ten Jews together. And even if five, the Shekhinah is present. And even three, the Shekhinah is present. And even two, the Shekhinah is present. And even one, the Shekhinah is present. So the Shekhinah is present, even one. Here, the Alter Rebbe is trying to say that the Shekhinah is only present if there's ten. If there's one, then it's only a schar, a reward. 
And depending on the number of Jews, if there's more than one, it's a higher level. Two, if there's three, a higher level. Five, a higher level. But there's nothing that can compare to ten. As he quotes, Ein davar shebikdusha. Paches mishnayim. He says there is nothing, nothing in holiness that could be, you're not allowed to say Kaddish, you can't say Hashem's name, you can't pray unless you have a minion of ten Jews. Pray, mention saying Hashem's name. And then he says something novel, which doesn't say anywhere else in Judaism. It's a, such a, a, rigid, a powerful point. He says that for that very same reason, when ten Jews do a mitzvah together, when ten Jews study Torah publicly together, it has the same power. It's a special, something special about ten. Just like without ten you can't say Hashem's name, so too when you do a mitzvah, even though you can do a mitzvah yourself, it doesn't say anywhere you have to do a mitzvah with ten Jews, but when ten Jews are doing a mitzvah together, when ten Jews are studying Torah together, it's so much more powerful you can't even compare. So therefore, ideally, just like you're looking for a minion, you should try to do a mitzvah with ten Jews together, try to study Torah publicly. Just like you look for a minion, you should also try to study Torah and do mitzvahs. It doesn't say anywhere, it's not mentioned anywhere, but this is the theme of this letter. As is the call for action at the end of the letter, they should learn publicly and learn together. Basically saying, you do, try to do a mitzvah also. If you're doing a mitzvah, it's so much more powerful when you have ten Jews together. So there's nothing like ten. The Shekhinah is present when there's ten. The mission says clearly the Shekhinah is present when there's five, the Shekhinah is present when there's three, the Shekhinah is present when there's two, and the Shekhinah is even present when there's one. And how do you reconcile it with the, the end of Mishnah 3 that says that the Shekhinah is present when there's two, and there's one, there's a reward. Not Shekhinah is present. But so what's going you on? say Shekhinah is not present when God is always present everywhere? No. God is present everywhere, but it's not Shechina. Shechina means when it's revealed. Of course, God is present everywhere. But the Shechina means when it's revealed, when there's a revelation of godliness. God is present everywhere, but He's not revealed. That's a holy place. A holy place means when the Shechina is there. Shechina is manifest. When the Shechina is manifest, that's, that's when it's revealed. Of course, God is everywhere, but it's not revealed. The world doesn't reflect it. The world is a fragment. Everything in the world is just a fragment. But is, is, yeah, go ahead. Okay, but isn't... For example, you say, well, you, you, when you pray alone and you put on tefillin, tefillin is the Shekinah, isn't it? Or, or, or I put on tefillin because I said so and I will be there, you know. Okay. So okay, so I think you, I think you right. Um, so I think you're you're going in the direction that we're trying to go, and that is that it seems a little unclear. It's very, you know. Yeah, it's a little, okay. So, what what Rebbe seems to be saying is, and hopefully someone will correct me if I'm wrong. Nobody here. <laughs> Any, anyone in lessons in Tanya.com? Yeah. What Rebbe seems to be saying is that whenever you do a mitzvah, whenever you do something holy, you're activating, you're, you're, you're revealing there's a revelation of godliness. When you put on tefillin, you do a mitzvah, you're revealing godliness. Who are you putting the tefillin on for? Right, but so any yeah. mitzvah that you do, anything holy that you do, 
there's a revelation of godliness. By, you're activating, you're igniting, you're, you're, you're lighting a candle, you're doing something. At any level. Yes, any level, even one person. And you're revealing. And the truth is that even in the, an individual, every Jew reflects the whole. It's like Alter Rebbe says elsewhere, the drop of the ocean reflects the whole sun just like the whole ocean. So every individual is a universe as reflected in Allah. You save one life, you save the whole entire universe. You don't sacrifice the individual for the community. So every individual could reflect the Shekhinah. That's what it says in Ethics of Our Fathers. Even one Jew is sitting and studying Torah. The Shekhinah is present. I will come and I will bless you. Brings down the blessing. Brings down the revelation of Godliness. The difference is, as he's going to say, he's going to explain, the Talmud asks, in Tracted Brachas, on the sixth page, the Talmud asks, if the Shechina, if the Mishnah says the Shechina is present even one, what does two add to one? And what does three add to two? And what does ten add? So the Talmud says, he says, one, Hashem blesses, but he's not written down in the book of memory. Sefer Zikaron. It says when two Jews come together, they're written down in the book of memory. So Teisvus asks, what do you mean? It says in Ethics of Our Fathers, chapter 2. Every deed that we do is written down in a book. So what do you mean only when two Jews get together it's written down in the book of memory and one Jew is not written down? How could the Talmud say that? It says clearly in Ethics of Our Fathers, everything we do is written down in the negative. How much more so in the positive? It's so much stronger. Surely everything we do is recorded. So what do you mean it's not written down? No, there's a diff- of course, everything we do is written down. But then there is the book of memory. It's written down in the book. But then there's a book of memory. It's a, it's a higher level. We have two different books. There's a higher book. Just like on, on Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah we say the Malchias. We say the king. And then there's a separate blessings for Zichronus, for memory. Memory is a higher level. It's a higher level. So you have the book. Everyone is written down in the book. But then there's the book of memory. It's a higher level. So in order to reach that higher revelation, to be written down in the book of memory, that only happens when you have two Jews learning together. They activate a much deeper revelation, a much higher, a much higher revelation, a greater revelation. Two Jews getting together, it's a powerful force. It's greater than just, it's not just one plus one equals two. It, it, it creates a new dynamic. Two Jews learning together, learning from each other, teaching each other, learning from each other, studying together. Each one teaching the other, you create a whole new dynamic, you activate a whole different level of revelation. Okay. Three comes to teach us that even in a court case, which you would think is just to make peace between Jews, it's not studying Torah, of course it's all based on Torah. So it comes to teach us that even three judges sitting together to judge based on the Torah, you activate and you reveal Hashem. What does ten come to teach us? Hashem is revealed even in one. If Hashem is revealed even when two Jews get together. If Hashem is revealed, the Shekhinah is revealed even in three. And the Mishnah says five. What, does, what do we add by ten? The Talmud says that there's a big difference. When there's ten Jews, 
Hashem comes, precedes, Hashem comes first. When three Jews are sitting together and judging, while they're judging, then Hashem is revealed. But with ten Jews, the Shekhinah comes before they do anything. Hashem is already standing and He's present. So what does that mean? What does that mean? This Altarev is going to explain. That's the difference between ten and all the rest. When you do something holy, you activate the revelation. Of course, every one of us is like a drop of the ocean that reflects the whole, but it's not visible, it's not revealed. When you do something holy, you reveal the godly spark inside of you, you reveal the Shekhinah, you reveal, you suddenly reflect the infinite, you reflect Hashem, because you're doing something holy. So the doing, the act of the holy act that you're doing, you're praying, you're doing a mitzvah, you're studying Torah, activates, ignites and reveals this revelation. And it depends on the level. If it's one, if it's two, if it's three, if it's five, different levels, you activate different degrees of revelation. But what happens when there's ten Jews together, what the Torah is telling us is when ten Jews get together, even if they do nothing like he's going to say, the mere presence of ten Jews in one room together, ten Jews sitting in a cafe in Tel Aviv, together. The mere fact of ten Jews sitting in one room together, they're not doing anything holy. They're not saying anything holy. They're not studying Torah. They're just sitting. When ten Jews are together, this represents the whole universe. This represents the ten Sfirot. This constitutes the Shekhinah. This draws down the revelation of the Shekhinah. You have ten angels together, they can't accomplish it. You have seven billion people together, non-Jews, they can't accomplish it. You have ten Jews sitting in one room together before they even do anything. You already have the presence. That's what the Talmud says, that the Shekhinah precedes them before they even do anything. All the other levels, it's when they do, when they study Torah, you trigger a response. Two Jews studying Torah together triggers a response. You put on tefillin, you trigger a response. Three judges sitting together, you trigger a response. Five Jews studying Torah together. With ten Jews, before they even do anything, the mere fact, the mere presence of ten Jews together is a holy, is a, brings holy, is holy. The Shekhinah is there. They haven't done anything holy. The Shekhinah is already present. Now, when you, when you take that that opportunity and when ten Jews together and you pray and you study Torah then you're taking the Shekhin and you're internalizing the Shekhin okay, okay. then you're taking this, le- this transcendent level this Kaddish Hashem who's so powerful and mighty and transcendent and superior to anything that the world the world can't even contain it it transcends all the angels transcends all the worlds the world can't even contain it it transcends the whole frame of reference of this world and that is present within these tendrils before they even do anything. Imagine when they take this opportunity and they're studying Torah and do something holy. You take this transcendent level and you internalize it. That's why the Alter Rebbe is saying, that's why it, it, he's, the innovation, he's saying that you should find the opportunity to study Torah publicly. 
You can study Torah alone. And it's very powerful, it's very holy. But you can't compare it to ten Jews studying together. Because the Shekhinah is present. The Shekhinah that only occurs when you have ten Jews together. Not nine, not five, not three, not two, not one. Only ten. You take that level of holiness and you internalize it. And when you do a mitzvah together, ten Jews do a mitzvah together. You can do it alone and something special happens. But ten Jews, in the presence of ten, in the presence of the Shekhinah, that's the point that he's trying to make. That's unique. That's what's different from the ten and all the rest. Does it have to be only men? Well, the minion, the minion that we're discussing is men. Yes. Okay, all right. I just want to clarify that. that he quotes here to say halachically, to say uh, Kaddish, to say uh, Baruchun, to say Hashem's name, to read the Torah. Um, okay. Right. You have to have a, um, a quorum of, 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 of ten men. You know, because the community, the public, you're talking about public, the emphasis, what the woman embodies, the woman embodies the private, the individual, the intimate, the family. What the man re- represents is the public, is the, congrega- the community, the, which is more external. And um, so this idea, and that's why it was the ten men, it's also we're fixing, we're trying to mend the original minion which was the ten spies, the ten men, the evil congregation, which we have to make up for. If it was up to the women, we would have gone into the land of Israel, Mashiach would have come, we wouldn't have had any problems. That's right, that's right. It's just we, we messed it up and we have to clean up. We have to clean it up. We have to get our act together. The distinction between Kosna divine indwelling by collective study and the allotment of reward to an individual student is understood by discerning thinkers. For the allotment of a reward is what takes place when God irradiates. The soul that seeks him. With the light of his Torah, which is truly the covering in which God guards himself. Through this garment, through the Torah, God irradiates the soul of the Jew who seeks him. This search for him can take place either during the service of prayer that precedes one study of Torah or during one, one's actual study, as explained at the conclusion of chapter 37 of Tanya, the Talmudic phrase can mean not only reading, studying the Torah, but also calling God through the Torah. In this sense, when one studies Torah, one resembles a child who calls his father asking him to come and be with him. So when you read the Torah, you, you're like inviting Hashem into your life. You're not just reading the Torah, you're inviting Hashem. You're calling Hashem through the Torah. You're calling your father, uh, like Hashem is your teacher, so His presence. When you're studying Torah, you're also getting Hashem's presence. You're not just getting ideas and wisdom. When you're studying Torah, you're getting Hashem Himself. That's the reward, the revelation. You're calling Hashem, you're inviting Hashem in to your heart, to your mind, to your soul. You sense Hashem's presence. That is the reward, it's a revelation. And you feel a certain inspiration, a certain uplift, a certain... Because you feel Hashem's presence. When you're studying Torah, you're calling Hashem. That's what's called Koreba Torah. Someone who reads the Torah is reading, is calling Hashem. You're inviting Hashem into your life. But there's no prayers in Torah. The prayers are in What's have to do with prayer? The fact, the act of learning Torah itself is calling Hashem 
Hashem is like, is like, is like, it's like your, your teacher. When you study Torah, you have to envision like Hashem is teaching you. Okay. So, it's not, so it's like Hashem is, is standing right now and giving you the Torah. It says you have to envision as if you're standing at Sinai. Hashem is reading for you the Torah and giving you the Torah. So it's Hashem's presence. It's not just reading the Torah. It's, it's Hashem words. is it's reading. It's Hashem's words. Hashem is reading it to you right now. So you feel Hashem's presence. And you sense that. And that's the reward. That's the uplift. Your soul is uplifted by that. What do you know? The Torah is called light, as it is written. He garbs himself in light, as with a garment. This verse refers to the degree of illumination diffused by the Torah, which, like a garment, is finite. Likewise, the faculties of the soul are inherently limited, both quantitatively and qualitatively. Since the light that emanates to the soul, soul must be integrated within its facilities. This illumination itself must also be limited. So that's why he says it's a light that's concealed, like in the garment. It engarbs, it's, it's garbed in the garment, so it's limited to the garment. It, it's only revealed. No, it's a it's a metaphor. So it's only revealed like like uh, like a garment. So the, this. So the light is revealed according to your capacity, according to your limited capacity, your mind, your heart, your sensitivities, your, your abilities. So it will illuminate your mind and your heart, and you feel inspired. So it's a very limited illumination, because you're limited. And the, the revelation of godliness that you trigger is also a limited revelation, based, that fits you, and that's customized to you. So it's a very limited uh, revelation. Continue. Now the soul is limited and finite in all its faculties. Therefore, the light of Hashem that radiates in it is also limited and contracted and vests itself within it. This is why the hearts of those who seek Hashem are ecstatically aroused at the time of prayer and the like. For their hearts rejoice in Him and exult, even with the exaltation and song, and their souls delight in the pleasantness of Hashem and His light. As it becomes revealed through the covering in which Hashem garbs Himself, which is the Torah. So in general, the verse says, King Solomon writes, Ner mitzvah v'torah er, that mitzvah is a candle and Torah is light. But here, so Torah is compared to light in general, Torah er, Torah lights up, Torah illuminates. But here he's saying something more than that. He's saying that this light of the Torah is like a garment. Because the analogy of a garment is that through the garment you can discern something of the one who's garbed in the garment, the person that's wearing the garment. So it, it reveals something of what's inside the garment. So he's saying Torah is a light that's like a garment that it reveals Hashem Himself. It reveals something of Hashem. That not only you have the Torah, and the Torah illuminates, but through the Torah, you also have some sense, and some revelation of Hashem. You get a sense of the presence of Hashem in your mind, and your heart, and you start singing with ecstasy, and your heart swells with, with joy, and because you sense Hashem. You're excited that you fact that Hashem so it's not just the Torah is illuminating, but what's behind the Torah. The Torah is, like, is a light that's like a garment that contains Hashem. 
And some of that is revealed. Of course, it's concealed. It's behind the garment. But, but, but underneath the garment, I can s- discern something of the person who's garb in that garment. So, so that's the metaphor that through the study of Torah, I get some sense of Hashem's presence. That's the reward. But of course it's limited. It's limited to my capacity. It's limited to my, to my, uh, my limitation. So it's a limited revelation. It's enough to get us inspired and to get us singing and excited and uplifted. So when a Jew studies Torah, even when he studies Torah alone, he's engaged in Torah and occupied in the study of Torah, that's the reward, a revelation of Hashem, of Hashem himself, a little revelation in, in his soul of Hashem himself. That's the reward of studying Torah. Direct reward. Not in the afterlife. Here, in, here, yeah, in the, yeah, here, here in this world. While you're studying Torah, yes. you feel uplifted. You feel inspired. You feel Hashem's presence. You, 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 you're learning with Hashem. That's that's the reward. If that's the ultimate reward, there's no so greater that, reward. That transcends everything else we do. Like right. You have Hashem Himself. What? Uh, the, that's. What? <laughs> that's the great, uh, the greatest reward. And his arrow comes forth like lightning from this garment. This illumination initially emanates to the soul with all the vigor of a light. That we learn in uh, letter number 15. The Rebbe goes through the 10 Svirot, and the first one is Chachma. It's like a revelation that comes like a lightning bolt, as discussed there. This is the allotment of the reward for the study of Torah, which is always fixed in the soul that labors in it. Being fixed within the soul constantly, this reward is received by the soul not only in the world to come, when the soul is enabled to apprehend rewards that are not to be obtained in this world, but in this world as well. And since this kind of reward consists of a finite degree of illumination, it can be received by the soul even as the soul finds itself within the body. This is why it is written that a reward awaits even one individual who studies Torah. That's what he says, Hashem Hashem like uh, fixes. Fixes means it's internal, it's in his soul, in this world, in the soul and while it's in the body and in this world, he can fix him this reward, he can give him this reward, it's a fixed thing, it doesn't have to wait till the afterlife, it's something that he can taste, experience, experience um, in this world. Just a, a little uh, talk about revealing Hashem. See, these two conspiracy theorists died and they go to heaven and they meet, they meet the creator, the judge. And Hashem says, okay, do you have any questions? He said, yeah, we have one question. Please tell us what really happened at 9-11. Who took down the Twin Towers? Hashem says, there was a fellow called Osama bin Laden, and he received money from the Saudis, and he flew into the building. Took him to, took him. They look at each other and they say, right, "This goes higher than we thought." <laughs> <laughs> this class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at lessonsintanya.com.